Let's begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the gift of femininity. We thank you for the gift of receptivity, the icon that women are, of how we all should be before you. Lord, may they understand uh, these daughters of yours, how great a gift it is. May they better understand their uniqueness uh, and their call uh, to receptivity. Lord, we ask your blessings upon me as I speak that they may understand better the truth of who they are. We ask this in your name. Amen. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Um, not to start on a negative note, but um, I had a, a good friend in high school and a sister who went through eating disorders and um, I never pretend to know the pressure that women face every day uh, to look like you just walked off a magazine cover. Uh, as I have said in many of my homilies, beauty is a real thing. Beauty is not subjective. Uh, it, beauty is not just in the eye of the beholder. Asian philosophers believe that beauty is one of the transcendentals, the other two transcendentals being truth and goodness. That beauty is an objective reality, just as truth is an objective reality. Beauty is a real thing. Sunsets are beautiful. Uh, one set may be more beautiful than other based on place and scenery. However, if you look at a sunset and say it's ugly, you would be wrong. Uh, so one sunset may be more beautiful than others, but none of them are ugly. Transcendentals come from God. God is truth, goodness, and beauty. And women participate in beauty in a way men don't. I'm talking about all women, not just women on magazines. All beauty is a participation in the perfect beauty of God. Now, some women in their physical appearance participate in the beauty of God more than others. And some chalices are more beautiful than others. Uh, some have inner beauty. Um, I know, like, for this, for instance, this uh, chalice has uh, silver, that the cup is made out of silver, but you wouldn't necessarily know that just from looking at it. Um, some of them are made from brass, some are made from steel, um, but they're all kind of gold-plated, so you're not, or gold-painted, and so you don't always know. But if you uh, knew them and uh, studied them, you would know more about each one of them each one of the chalices. Um, there is the simple chalice. Uh, this is uh, my travel kit. Um, I'm guessing it's worth probably about $10 or so. Um, this is uh, one of the ancillary chalices that we use at Mass here at the Newman Center. Um, this was a chalice given to me at my ordination uh, by the Knights of Columbus. Um, and this was a chalice given to me by some friends. They had traveled to the Holy Land, um, and so this chalice comes from the Holy Land. Um, and, uh, you know, it's personal to me because uh, my friends gave it to me. Uh, this one um, is uh, one of the chalices that we use at the Newman Center, um, usually maybe more for daily Mass. And then this is the chalice that we use uh, here at the Newman Center for Sunday uh, for uh, maybe more special occasions. 
Um, this is the chalice that was given to me by my family at my ordination. Um, again, like I said, it has a silver cup. Um, at the time uh, I was ordained in 2010, um, the price tag on it was $7,000. Um, so I used to before I bought a new car, I would tell the service to be careful with it because it costed more than my car. So, um, but it's probably worth even more now since uh, gold has gone up in price. Um, so, uh, but yes, so all different levels uh, of beauty, of worth, um, but, uh, Chalices have one purpose, no matter you know what they look like on the outside or even what they are made of on the inside. Their whole purpose is to be, uh, to hold the precious blood of Christ. And so again, no matter what they're worth, what the dollar amount, or how judged uh, they are judged in their beauty, uh, their purpose is to hold the precious blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. If, it's, if a chalice is lopsided, um, it can't stand up straight and will tip over and will spill the precious blood of Jesus. Um, and so it can't fulfill its purpose. And this could happen to the $20 chalice or it could happen to the $7,000 chalice. And then this is the same purpose as a woman's body and soul, and that is to carry Christ. And this is ultimately what matters. It is a woman's body and soul filled with Christ. It does not matter how beautiful the appearance of the chalice is, the end, the outer beauty of a woman should point to the inner beauty she has because she carries Christ in her soul. And in the end, this is what matters. How much inner beauty a woman has is what matters, not how much outer beauty a woman has. And as a point, uh, people who um, would meet Mother Teresa would say, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. And like, I mean, um, at least during my lifetime that I halfway cared about my Catholic faith, Mother Teresa was this old, wrinkly woman. Um, and so, you know, would she have been on the cover of any magazine? No. But it is. It's just that the people who would run into her would say, uh, would call her beautiful. And why is that? Because she carried the Holy Spirit, though, the Spirit of Christ within her soul in such a radical way that everyone who met her, almost everyone who met her, would comment how beautiful she was. Now, every human person is supposed to be a receptacle of God's presence. Every person is supposed to carry the life of Christ within us. However, a woman's body enacts this receptivity to the life of God in a way that a man's body doesn't. A woman can literally carry life within her body. By receiving the seed of life from another, she can conceive life within her body. Receptivity to God is stamped right into a, right into a woman's body. This is why some theologians think Satan attacked Eve, not because she was weaker, but because she represents in her body the posture of all of humanity before God. That women are an icon of the receptivity that we are all supposed to have, male and female, to God's love. And so it makes sense that Satan would attack the icon of receptivity, our, all of our postures before God. Because if we can destroy that icon, the woman's receptivity to life, he can also destroy our receptivity to God's love. 
This is why Jesus is often referred to as the bridegroom and the church the bride. Um, is because, uh, because of that. Just as a woman's body is designed to be receptive to the giving of a part of her husband's body, so too the chalice is designed to be receptive to a part of the church's bridegroom, Jesus. The chalice is designed to be receptive to the precious blood of Jesus. It's scientific fact that women's bodies and brains are more complex. Um, have you ever thought about how you as a woman are the pinnacle of creation? We know from the first story of creation that God created the simple first and finished with the most complex. We know from the second story of creation that the last thing God created was Eve. There is a whole field of medicine and gynecology just dedicated to women's health. As the saints have, uh, have before us, uh, let's reflect on Mary's life after the resurrection, but even more so after the ascension. Mary would have gone to Mass to cele uh, celebrate by the Apostles, there just as we have done for the past 2,000 years. She would receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. The saints have reflected on how this receiving Jesus into her body in the Eucharist would have taken her back to the nine months she carried Jesus in her womb. Just like Mary, because of your bodies, you have a unique perspective on what it means to carry Christ in your hearts. You are all beautiful and amazing. Don't stop confessing it because it is a lie that needs to be eradicated. But it does break my uh, spiritual father's heart when you confess that you have given it into the lie that you are not good enough, that you are not beautiful enough, that somehow you are not enough. You are enough, and there is no money to be made in convincing women that they are enough. Companies make money by convincing you that you are not enough, that you need to buy this or to do that. I am here, God is here to tell you, you are enough. Now don't get me wrong, I know you're not perfect. I hear your confessions. So yes, we all need to strive for greater holiness, but you are enough. The very fact that God created you the way you are means you are enough, just the way you are. Um, did I bring it? Okay. So uh, before um, Vatican II, uh, for the past, you know, um, hundreds of years, uh, they would have used what is called a chalice veil at every Mass. Uh, we didn't use it this morning, um, but uh, we have at previous times um, at some of the Masses. So, I don't have a patent with me, um, but um, the patent sit is a square that sits over the chalice, and then the veil goes over the chalice, and then the burst, which is this, that, that contains the corporal, would sit on top. Right. So, it would hang a little differently if the um, pattern was there. Uh, so, the chalice would remain like this 
either on the altar or off to the side on the credence table. So the credence table is like where the wine and the water are off to the side uh, that the servers bring the stuff over to the altar. Sometimes if there weren't servers, the priest would have the chalice with the chalice veil on it, um, just sitting off to the side on the altar. Now at the beginning of the liturgy of the Eucharist, so there's the liturgy of the Word, and then later the liturgy of the Eucharist, when the liturgy of the Eucharist starts, uh, the priest takes the chalice veil off of the chalice. Now let's think about this in a supernatural way. Think about it. The bridegroom Jesus is acting through the priest, and in some ways undresses his bride at the appropriate time to receive his blood, to receive the gift of life, eternal life. Can you see, not in a gross way, but can you see how this is echoed in the marital act? So again, reflect on the chalice veil some more. Why would the chalice be veiled? Is it because the chalice is ugly? Is it because the chalice is bad? No, it's the opposite. It's veiled because the chalice is good and beautiful. As you said earlier, beauty is a real thing. Things can be objectively beautiful. Objectively, it just means it is. That, it's not, that it doesn't depend on someone's opinion or perspective. And right now, it's not raining outside. That's an objective reality. It doesn't matter if you think it's raining outside or not. It just isn't. Um, and so things can be objectively beautiful. The question isn't, do we think it's beautiful or not? The question is, do we see the beauty that is objectively there? And the true, same is true of the human body. Some human bodies are objectively more beautiful than others. However, it is the same Creator. And what really matters is the substance within. Again, look at the chalices I brought with me today. They, are all, they all look different. They are all have different levels of beauty. They're all made out of different materials. But as we have said earlier, what matters in the end is how well they fulfill their purpose. And the purpose of these chalices is to hold the precious blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. And this is true of the human body. How well do we carry Christ in our bodies and our souls? Again, the more, most expensive chalice, the one that's under the veil, uh, has a silver uh, cup and is gold plated. And I know this because uh, I bought it um, and I uh, researched it. So, the same is true of Christ. Christ knows you. He knows what you are made of on the inside. I used to think it was weird how women would comment how beautiful other women are on Facebook and Instagram posts. Um, let's just say men do not do that. Um, and if they did, it would be awkward. Um, yeah, we don't comment how buff or handsome other men are. And I used to think this was actually bad, that women commenting on the beauty of another woman in a photo. I used to think that um, this was bad. So it kind of surprised me when a mother would gush about her daughter, and one of the qualities she would gush about was her daughter's beauty. I thought this was a holdover from an over-sexualized patriarchal society. I thought it was women using fallen men's evaluation of women with one another. And so the men you know, would have influenced women to 
value their beauty above all things, all other things, and that they, that's what they would evaluate each other on. But now I'm beginning to think that it's good. I think it is good when a woman recognizes the objective feminine beauty in another woman. I'm beginning to think that it is innate for a woman to be judged by her beauty, physical and spiritual. Now listen, the world will tell you that there are two ways to view a woman's body. And I'm going to propose that there is a third. The two ways of looking at a woman's body come out of an understanding of power. And this um, means that all of history, this view, um, this view understands history as a power struggle. A power struggle between men and women. Most feminism today looks through all of history through this lens. This lens of power struggle between men and women. And you could even look at the story of Genesis in the same way, the fall of Adam and Eve. Now through this lens, men have been in power for most, if not all, of history. Because of their position of power, they have repressed and abused women throughout history. So the postmodern feminist answer to this real problem of abuse of power throughout most of history is to obtain power, more power than men, to gain the upper hand in the struggle for power. The way to get out from underneath the power and control of men is for women to grab power and control for themselves. This is what postmodern feminism believes. In this view of history, history being the power struggle between men and women, women only have two choices when it comes to ways of viewing your body. So one way, uh, we'll, call it, we'll call it the positive way, but positive in quotes, is to show off your body as a sign of empowerment, of control. Now I'm old, but like during the 90s it was Britney Spears, right? So one time she was asked why she was wearing the skimpy clothing selection that she was wearing and her response was, well, it's hot in Louisiana. Uh, this view of a woman's body also says it's okay to use your body to mani manipulate men. This would be great and good except that there are fallen males on the planet Earth. Um, and so you only make up half of the population. Actually, you make up a little over half. Uh, more um, uh, girl babies survive early, uh, early life than men, which may say something else about women. But um, Now, if you're on the island nation of, I can't even pronounce this, um, it's, uh, it's where uh, Wonder Woman is from. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But anyways, there's a society of just females, and I'm not sure how that works, but... Um, I mean, if that was true, you could. You could walk around naked or with barely any clothing on. Um, and that would be fine. Now it's true, if you ask women who pose for Playboy magazine or for other things, they often talk about being empowered. And they feel like they have wrestled free from society that shames a woman's body and makes it bad. And in some ways, that's a good thing. But the problem is, who looks at Playboy magazine? Who looks at these types of pictures? Is it women who see these photos and think, oh wow, she's empowered? 
Or is it men who look at these photos and see her as an object? And so that's the first way. You know, to see your body as a, as a good, and therefore I need to, to show off my body as a way of empowerment and control. The second way we'll call it the negative uh, way um, is to, be, to see your body as being bad, to be ashamed of your body. No, maybe, um, maybe not always, but no, to cover it up with frumpy clothes, um, or maybe not even to go out. But this too is a lie. God created you, male, uh, uh, body and soul, and your body is good. It is very good. And it is true no matter what your body is like, no matter what the portions or measurements or weight is, your body is good. And again, the two these are the two options the world presents. One, to reveal, uh, to revel in your body and to flaunt it. Or two, to despise your body and hide it. Or put another way, are you going to allow men to control you and have power over you? Are you going to grab control and overpower men and give them a dose what women have felt since the fall when God told Eve, yet your urge shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you? Now, just to be clear, God did not desire this. This was a consequence of sin entering the world. And that's the problem with the postmodern feminist approach to a history of female repression and abuse. It actually doesn't end the repression and abuse and objectification, but it actually perpetuates it and deepens it. It continues the us versus them mentality. Men and women are meant to complement each other. Men and women are meant to work in harmony with each other, allowing the masculinity and femininity to produce something greater than the sum of its parts. However, there is a third way to view your feminine body. Your feminine body is not just a part of you, but it makes up the one body-soul being that you are. Thus, your body and soul are to be cherished and loved. You and your body are such a great good that you deserve to be cared for and cherished. Your body is so good that it deserves to be cared for and adorned, adorned at the proper time and reserve its full revelation to the proper person at the proper time. Let's call again the first way to view your feminine body, the positive way of power. The idea of using physical beauty to gain power and control over men. That you should flaunt your body because it is so beautiful and good. The second way again is the negative way of power. My body is so ugly and I'm ashamed of it that I must cover it up out of shame and disgust. Again, both of these are lies, these, but these are the only two options given by feminism. But again, there is a third way. And the third way is the way of love. To love your body, this way uh, views history as a struggle for humanity to overcome our sinful and lustful inclinations. The third way is about being receptive to God's love. The answer to the abuse of women at the hands of men is to demand that men learn to love and cherish women, especially their significant other. Demand that, be he, that he be chivalrous. Demand that your significant other be captivated by all that, of who you are, body, soul, and personality. All of you. This third way echoes from the life, love, and relationship that Adam and Eve had with God and with each other before the fall. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says that they were naked and without shame. And Pope John Paul II said that this was possible because they saw in the gaze of the other not a look of lust, but a look of love. 
that when they looked upon each other's naked bodies, they didn't see a body to be used, but a person to be loved. And I tell couples that ideally that would be recaptured in the marriage bedroom. That you know each other and love each other so much and know so much about each other that you see in the gaze of the other a gaze of love. That as you look upon each other's naked bodies, you see a person to be loved and not a body to be used merely for pleasure. Another reason you should love your body no matter what is because it is an icon. Women in their bodies are signs, icons to all of humanity, again, both men and women, of the receptivity that we are to have to God's love. The greatest example of this uh, was the greatest woman who has ever lived, a Blessed Mother Mary. Her, yes, her receptivity gave us our Savior Jesus Christ. The early church fathers went as far to call Mary the co-redemptrix. And that doesn't mean that Mary, you know, died on the cross for her sins as Jesus did, but it just means that her yes allowed Jesus to come to earth and to save us from our sins. So in that way that she doesn't save in the same role and the manner that Jesus did, but because of her yes, our salvation became possible. Now grabbing power and trying to put men down destroys the icon of receptivity that women are supposed to have. If a woman's body is so good and is icon of God's love for us, what is the point of modesty? Think again about the chalice veil. Dressing modestly has two purposes. One, for your good. Dressing modestly increases the chance that you are seen and treated as a person, not as an object. You deserve again at all times to be treated as a person, never as an object. You deserve to be never to be treated merely as a means for pleasure. This can happen even in marriage. Pope John Paul too in his book uh, Love and Responsibility says that wives tire of sex because even if they can't articulate it, they know that they are being used merely for pleasure by their husbands and not as a person to be loved. When Pope John Paul wrote this, this uh, came out as something very radical. The idea that a lust, that husbands could lust after their wives, that they, you know, sin could happen within marriage, within a sexual embrace. But marriage is not, is not a license to lust. So my daughters in Christ, do not, I repeat, do not settle for a man who does not know how to treat you as a person, who doesn't cherish you who doesn't love you for all that you are. Um, I dare you to ask a man on the first date if he's addicted to porn. If he says yes, then you, you have permission to leave right there. You deserve uh, to have a husband who's captivated by all that you are, body and soul, your whole personality. Um, I think I said this last time, but if you need to stop by the Newman Center during your date and um, have me ask him a few questions, I'll more than gladly do so. Um, anything for you. Dressing modestly is not a repression of your femininity, but a protection of your femininity. And the second reason for dressing modestly is for others' good. You know, kind of we talked about a little bit earlier um, with, uh, I guess, Wonder Woman. Dressing modestly helps out your brothers in Christ. And dressing modestly helps your brothers in Christ not to sin as much and not to lust as much. 
And it is true, you can't control what men think when they see you. Some are so depraved that I suppose even the sight of Mother Teresa and her habit um, or some other holy woman would induce thoughts of lust. Now I'm not saying to dress frumpy either. It is possible to dress beautifully or elegantly without dressing sexy. Lust is always the sin of the luster. A woman could walk down the street naked and not sin as so long as her intention was not to incite lust. Um, you know, in, in this sense, I, I'm not exactly sure, I guess, what I'm saying, but I'm told that young women often don't understand how men perceive them when they dress a certain way. That they often are dressing that way just because their friends are dressing that way, or I suppose you could use that society is telling them to dress that way. That they don't really intend to dress immodestly or provocatively, it's just that they don't have any perception of that. I suppose, especially in their early teen years. Um, now, if her intention by streaking naked down the street or dressing immodestly is to cause men to lust, then in that sense she does sin. But lust is always the sin of the person who is lusting. Um, maybe a question to ask when you're picking out clothes is, am I trying to reflect God's beauty? Um, or am I trying to sexualize my body to get a certain reaction out of men? So what is your intention for dressing the way that you are? Again, it isn't just about intention. We need to care about how things will be received. And we live in a fallen world. But at the same time, you can't you know, account again for every reaction that you will encounter. So again, going back to the chalice veil. The chalice veil is there not because the chalice is ugly, but because it is beautiful and good. It is because it is beautiful and good that it is kept hidden until the proper time to receive its purpose, holding the blood of Christ. In a very similar way, a woman's body is to remain hidden to some extent until she can find someone who will promise before God, family, and friends that he will cherish her and love her and not identify her for as long as they both shall live. Only then is it good for a woman to completely unveil herself. When a man knows you inside and out enough to love you for who you are, not just what you are, then it is okay to unveil the glorious, beautiful God, body God gave you. Think for just a second, why do we wrap birthday and Christmas gifts? Is it because the gifts are bad and ugly? No, quite the opposite. No, hopefully they are good and beautiful, and we want it to be a surprise, and thus we wrap them up so that they can be revealed at the proper time. Couples throughout courtship reveal more and more of their personalities to one another. And as couples gain trust in each other, they can reveal more and more of themselves. And ideally, they would reveal the proper things about themselves, body and soul, at the proper time as the relationship develops. If you see your body the way God sees your body, you should be able to stand in front of the mirror butt naked and say, as God did during creation, wow, it is very good. As a chalice is not Unveiled, just as the chalice is not unveiled until it is ready to receive the body and blood of Jesus, the Catholic Church teaches that Jesus, all of Jesus is in both species. 
So if we think of Andrew Heller, who um, is not here as much as he is, um, he found uh, Elizabeth, and so that takes up a lot of his time, so he's not always here for Mass. But when Andrew Heller is here for Mass, he just receives the precious blood, and that's because we believe as Catholics that all of Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity is contained in both species. And so, all, so Andrew is receiving all of Jesus just by receiving the precious blood. Just as the chalice is not unveiled until it's ready to receive the body and blood of Jesus, a woman should not unveil her body until she is ready to receive the body, the sperm of her husband, and to receive from God the potential consequences, i.e. a baby. A few years back, there was the hashtag MeToo movement. It was a movement, in essence, to get men, especially in Hollywood, to treat women as persons and not as objects. What a lot of it was, was men asking and receiving sexual favors in exchange for the women getting a part in a movie or in a magazine. And again, the woman is not at fault. Her, if her intentions are innocent and naive, then she does not sin while posing in movies or magazines that show off her body in a sexualized way. However, it does not surprise me that men who make movies or magazines that sexualize or objectify women would also treat women as objects IRL in real life. Again, though, every woman, no matter how she presents herself, deserves to be treated as a person and never as an object. So the long and the short of it is, out of love for yourself and for your brothers in Christ, dress modestly. Again, this increases the chance that you, uh, that they will approach the sacredness of your femininity with reverence, interact with you as a person, and decrease the chance that they will lust after your bodies. If you have been very keen, I suppose, about my social media activity, you'll notice that I never um, try to like a post that involves a bikini. Um, when they first introduced bikinis, I forget when that was, um, the first half, I think, of the 20th century, uh, they couldn't get any models to uh, model them. They actually had to find prostitutes to come and model them. And I realized that there are immodest one-piece swimming suits too, but um, in general there's, a, I suppose, a higher probability that one-piece swimming suits are more modest. Um, yeah, I, that's not a, a judgment, that's just a personal observation. So, uh, my dear sisters, I say all of this not because your bodies are bad, again, quite the opposite. Your bodies are good, created by, good by God the Father, that they should only be revealed at the proper time uh, to the proper person. A person who has promised to love you as a person, body and soul, faults and strengths, till death do you part in front of family and friends. I tell couples again, preparing for marriage ideally, that the bedroom is a return to the Garden of Eden before the fall, before sin entered the world. The chalice uh, is under the chalice veil, and it remains that way, not because it is bad, but because it is very good. And when at the proper time comes to receive uh, her spouse, Jesus Christ, then the chalice is taken off. This is my hope for you, my sisters in Christ, that if you are called to marriage, your spouse will look on your naked body and see a person to be loved and to cherish, because this is what you deserve. 
This is what your heart pines for. This is the type of love you were created for. Until your wedding day, God willing, you can find this kind of love from your heavenly spouse. To receive this kind of love, all you have to do is sit in silence in any Catholic church in front of the tabernacle. Some are women Christ calls to this love exclusively for himself for the rest of their lives. These women are called sisters and nuns. Sometimes in the confessional I'll tell women, you know, you have a boyfriend, and they're like, no I don't. I'm like, yes you do. She's like, no I don't. I'm like, yes you do. His name is Jesus Christ. Sisters and nuns do not deny their sexuality. Their sexuality is given back to the one who first gave it them to them as a gift. So what are you to do? Pray. Pray that you don't listen to the lies. To dress modestly to increase the chance that you are treated as a person, not as an object. Because you deserve to always be treated as a person. Don't worry so much how your body looks. I would ask instead, am I living healthy? Am I eating healthy? Am I exercising? Or I don't know, whatever they recommend these days, three times a week for at least half an hour, is that right? I don't even know. But like, but concentrate, uh, concentrate on these questions. And don't worry so much the size, shape, or weight of your body. Find little ways to encourage men to be chivalrous. Make them open doors for you. I know you can open the doors for yourself. Um, but that's not the point. What does um, Sarah Swaffer say? It's not about the door, right? Um, ask them they dress up for you. Or they take you out on a date or whatever. Um, I don't know, just an observation. It seems odd to me that uh, these days I often see women coming to wedding rehearsals um, looking amazing. And then, the bride, then the groom and the groomsmen show up and they're in jeans and t-shirts. Um, yeah, I, I don't get that. Anyways, they should want to look, look good for you, not for themselves. And I know it takes time, uh, extra time to teach men to be showers, but men these days need a lot of help, trust me. They tend to be lazy and selfish, but they need your help to become servant leaders. They need your help to learn how to sacrifice for the good of others. So encourage the men in your life to become the husband that St. Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. He does for his wife what Christ did for his bride, the church, which was to lay down to sacrifice his very life for your good. The world needs authentic femininity now more than ever. In a culture of death and hate, civilization needs the feminine genius of supporting life and encouraging love and understanding. My sisters in Christ, do not listen to the lies the world tells you. The God-given truth is you are amazing. You are beautiful. You are enough. You are not merely an object for someone else's pleasure. You are not merely in a power struggle. You are a person with dignity and grace and demand that the world treat you as such.